Welcome to Center Ice and Happy New Year, everybody. It is 2023 officially, and we figured no better way to kick off the new year than to talk some hockey. And let's jump right into the World Juniors, Mac, because it's going on right now. And there's been some pretty good games, even from teams that aren't necessarily going to be competing for a medal, but you can really see the progress. For for example, the team that's really been impressing me so far is Germany. I think they've been great. They made it to the elimination round for the first time in three, four attempts. So the the German team, although they more than likely aren't going to make it to the medal round, I think that they've made some great progress. There's some great players on there. And I think as time goes along, we're going to see the World Juniors become more and more the parity is going to just get better and better and uh, I you know I love the world juniors but uh, there are sort of four or five teams that are really good and having another t- hockey nation like Germany rise up and really challenge teams like Canada and e- even teams like uh, Canada you know that they the Czechs beat them on opening night so this is a wide open world juniors even compared to a World Juniors five years ago, and I'm all here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been really fun to watch. And as somebody who is Canadian, we're both Canadian, but this tournament is one of the best things to watch in the calendar year for any hockey fan out there because you get to see, you know, the next stars in the NHL. And, yeah, it's been really balanced, really unpredictable, and I like that. It's wide open. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than going into the quarterfinals and the medal rounds thinking that, okay, all of these teams have a shot, have a chance. It's great. It really is. Absolutely. And I, I think we have to touch on Connor Bedard here because, you know, every, everyone knows how good this kid is. Well, you'd, you'd think so at this point. And, you know, I heard going into the World Juniors on some scouting list, they didn't quite have him as number one. They had a few other guys potentially usurping his throne. But with uh, how good he's been this World Juniors, I feel like barring an injury or a major collapse in the second half of the WHL season, I think that Connor Bernard has cemented his place as the number one pick in the draft this summer. Oh, without question. I mean, this guy is a dynamic skater. He makes plays out of nothing. You know, he's... And I think... The thing that really sticks for me is his ability to find the open space and that shot, man, that shot is unbelievable for a kid his age. And speaking of Bedard, obviously he's had a lot of headlines, but this is something that needs to be said, okay? He has tied the tournament record for most points by an under-18 player with 18. The previous record holders, you may have heard of them, Yarmar Yager, Wayne Gretzky. So if you look back, he needs one point to break the record. The rest of the tournament's still ahead. He's going to do it. The question is, how many points is he going to get? You know, Yager had 18 points as a 17-year-old back in 1989-1990. And no one has come close since then, except Yessi Pugliarvi in 2015-2016 when he was playing with guys like Barkov and Aho and Laine. So this is just incredible. I mean... The points he's putting up, the plays he's making, I mean, it's the crowd is basically, you know, hanging on his every move. It really is something. Like, <laughs> they get so excited every time he touches the puck, and why wouldn't you? And, you know, what I like about this kid is he's quiet. You know, he's not arrogant. He works hard. His father is a logger, I heard TSN talking about. Wakes up early every morning. Seems like he's got a good family. He's a great kid, and I really hope that he ends up in a destination where he's set up to succeed because this guy is going to be unbelievable to watch for years to come. And I'm, you know, let's just enjoy this while it's going on. Let's enjoy him dominating the Canadian Hockey League. Let's watch what he can do the rest of this World Juniors, and let's just enjoy it while it's still here. Obviously, the NHL draft lottery is another thing, but hey, this kid... Whoever winds up with him, they're going to be awfully lucky. Well, I would almost say, Mac, that this World Juniors is the Connor Bedard World Juniors because everyone knows that 
barring some crazy situation, Connor Bedard, this is going to be his last World Juniors. He's going to get into the NHL next fall and probably going to stay there for the rest of his career because he's that good. So being able to see him on the world stage potentially for the last time in three, four years, uh, hope, and, you know, hopefully the NHL gets back to the Olympics and we can see him in a Canada uniform with guys like Crosby and Bergeron, which just thinking about that makes me salivate. But that's a co- topic for another day. So, you know, seeing a guy like Bedard right before he breaks out onto the true global stage with the NHL next year, it, it's just amazing to watch. And it is the Connor Bedard show, you know. Pretty much every game Canada's played in, he's made a highlight reel play, a highlight reel goal. You know, it, he really, really is something. And I, I agree with you. Whoever gets Connor Bedard is going to be awfully lucky. And that NHL uh, draft lottery, who, whichever teams are uh, in contention for him, they're going to be watching those standings awfully closely. Yeah, so besides Connor Bedard, I mean, a lot of other players have been really impressive to me. What about Adam Sakura? You know, this guy, he's just maximum effort every shift. You think of a Zach Hyman or even a Michael Bunting type player. Those players are hard to find. There's a long way to go still, but it looks like the Rangers might have a good one here. And we've mentioned Olin Zellweger. What really impresses me about this guy is... You know, he's not just a great skater. He's really good defensively. He's smart. He doesn't take bad penalties. You know, this is what you call a really stable, impressive young defenseman. And guess what? He's another Anaheim Ducks draft pick. Speaking of the Ducks, if Russia were allowed to play in this tournament, Pavel Mintyakov, their recent first-round pick, is absolutely tearing up the CHL right now. This guy's a defenseman. He has 51 points. He's third in OHL scoring. But obviously, for different reasons, Russia is not allowed to play in this tournament. But if you do get a chance, I would encourage you guys to check this guy out. He's going to be another good one for the Ducks. Anybody in particular you feel like has really stood out to you? We mentioned Bedard. I mentioned a couple guys. Anybody you feel like, hey, wow, I really like that kid. Really impressive. Well, one guy that I have noticed, and it's partially because Suns fans seem to be really big on him, and I certainly uh, gave him my, not the player, but the Suns scouting their fair share of criticism when they drafted him 10th overall, is uh, Tyler Boucher, made the U.S. team this year, and for a while I was kind of iffy on him, you know, I thought he could be an okay player, but, you know, 10th overall, you know, I think that it was, st- and I still think it's a bit of a reach, but I think he has impressed not only in the OHL, but I think he's done some great stuff with the American team. He's had a lot of physicality. He seems to have some good hockey IQ, and uh, I'm starting to warm up on him. And I think he's he's definitely one of those prospects that is a bit of a project, but I think it's it's coming along, and maybe the Sens. I should, shouldn't should doubt their scouting as much as I think I should. But uh, he's been impressing me. I think his physicality, I do think he needs to watch uh, the penalties because he has gone in trouble a couple times these World Juniors for uh, being a little overly physical. Now, whether those would be called in the NHL, probably not. But still, you know, you play to the league's rules that you're in. And... Any coach will tell you that. They'll say, oh, yeah, you may be able to get away with that in this league, but you're not going to get away with it here. So uh, that's my one thing, big downside I've noticed with Tyler Boucher this World Juniors. But I think that he's really coming along, and uh, I'm not as skeptical about this about the 10th overall reach as I was a couple seasons ago. Yeah, that's fair. A few other guys I want to mention. I mean, Joachim Kemmel, this is a guy that we talked about last year. You know, who's going to get this guy? Where is he going to go? It was kind of a question mark. But boy, do the Nashville Predators, are they ever thrilled that they got him at 17th overall? Somehow, this guy is a sniper. He's a good playmaker. He's a great skater. This is looking like a steal for the Preds. 
And how about Jimmy Snuggerud for the St. Louis Blues? This is the type of player that the St. Louis Blues really like. He's a good skater. He's a play driver. He has a strong two-way game. They drafted another player like this in Jake Neighbors. I've been really impressed with him. And then obviously there's a couple other guys that you have to mention. Luke Hughes, this guy's going to be a star. And also David Yurichek, Columbus's first round pick last year. Really good Czech defenseman, really strong in his own end, doesn't take a lot of penalties, good with his stick, he can play the body. Those are just some guys I've noticed. And on to the quarterfinals discussion, I mean, we've got Finland versus Sweden, Czechia versus Switzerland, United States versus Germany, and Canada versus Slovakia. That starts on Monday. Any thoughts on those matchups? Well, I'll tell you the one I'm really looking forward to right away. The one that stands out for me is Finland versus Sweden. There's always been a rivalry there. The two teams play each other hard. I think it's the most even match of the quarterfinals, and I think it's going to be a very exciting match. Looking at the other matches, though, you know, Czechia, Switzerland, I wouldn't count out the Swiss right away. You know, they're a hardworking team. I don't think they're going to pull off the upset. Czechia is more than likely going to win that game, but... You know, there's a reason you play the game. U.S., I think they'll beat Germany. But as I was saying earlier in the show, Mac, you know, this is a hard-working Germany team that's getting better every year. I've been very impressed with the German hockey development program. Every year they come back to the World Juniors, they seem to get better and better. And if they can pull off the upset against the U.S., it'll be uh, one for the ages. And then Canada versus Slovakia, you know, the expectation is that Canada is going to beat the Slovaks. But you and I know that the, the Slovakian team, is no, they're no uh, pushovers. And Canada, hopefully they learn from their game against Czechia that they need to bring their A game and they need to come out strong and hard to beat the Slovaks. Because if they, if they come out and they're slouching, then the, the Slovakians are going to take advantage of that. One thing about this World Junior, and this goes for all teams, Mac, you, know, you can't have an off game against any of these teams. Yeah, for sure. And going back to Canada, we're not going to talk about Canada this whole time, but after that first game against Czechia where they got absolutely dominated, they've played a lot better. They've found their guy in net. To me, they look like they've really turned it around. Obviously, it helps having Connor Bedard. That must be <laughs> nice, right? But, you know, they've had stable goaltending with Milic, who's actually been pretty impressive. A lot of times in these World Juniors, you know, Canada has a guy that they expect is going to be their number one goalie. And then this other guy emerges and he becomes the number one, unless they have an elite goaltender, which they haven't had in a few years, really. So, yeah, Canada still looks good to me. I really like what I'm seeing from Czechia because not only do they have a good top six, they've got a lot of depth. Every line kind of plays the same way, they don't allow you to get into the slot. They've got good goaltending. And here's another thing that maybe people aren't talking about enough. They're big. They're a big team. And that helps in tournaments like these because you can use your body to your advantage to an extent. And obviously having guys like Juracek helps a lot too. Absolutely. Uh, This is going to be an exciting finish to the World Juniors. I think that all these matchups where... Anything really could happen, Mac, and that's what's great about something like the World Juniors. I'm, I'm very excited to see how it ends. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well, let's get into some fun stuff, shall we? It's New Year's Day, and we thought, you know, what better way to kick off the New Year than to not give New Year's resolutions to ourselves, Mac, because we do that all the time anyways, but to give some New Year's resolutions to the NHL. This is a conversation that the two of us have a lot when we watch hockey games together. And we figure, you know, we talk about it so much, we need to share some of our ideas with you, our loyal listeners. And that is potential NHL rule changes, things that we think the NHL should just ditch in general or add. So uh, let's jump right into it. And I think this is an obvious one that pretty much everybody has support for at this point it's just a matter of when they're going to do it and that's 10 minute three on three overtime i think everybody barring a few shootout lovers out there mac would say three on three overtime needs to be doubled in length because when you get a really good three on three it is just one of the greatest things in sports it's back and forth it's wide open it's so much fun and they do this for five minutes, and then you, you can sort of hear everybody just 
groan in the arena when the buzzer goes after five minutes because they're going to the shootout. And I, I, I have firsthand experience of that. Ottawa-Boston back uh, on the 27th of December, Mac, that was a great game, back and forth. They go to overtime. Swayman and Talbot are making crazy saves. All the star players are out there getting good shots. You know, I truly believe if that game went, had 10 minutes of three-on-three, three, we wouldn't have gone to the shootout. But with how good both goalies were playing, you know, even if they did get to the shootout, could you imagine 10 minutes of back-and-forth craziness? So I think that the NHL will do it eventually, but until they do, it's number one on my list of rules and things the NHL needs to change. Absolutely. That's a great one. And and building off of that, you've got to eliminate the coaching from the three-on-three because it is absolutely ruining it. Okay. You remember when three-on-three first kicked in and everybody was so excited because it was a free-for-all and that's what was great about it. And most times games did not go to shootouts. If the goalies were playing really well, they would, but most of the time they didn't. The coaches have way too much of an impact on the three-on-three when they say, keep possession at all costs. It's a little too much. So you've got to put some sort of rule in where you say, maybe you need to implement more line changes, quicker line changes. You've got to do something to keep the speed of the three-on-three going. Because when you don't have that, you get situations like teams hanging onto the puck, playing slow, and just waiting for the other team to make a mistake. And that's not how it should be. The other team makes a mistake when you're playing at high speed the way it's supposed to be played. But the coaches, as they always do, have found a way to mold it to their own personal way to get the points or get the win. Uh, I would say the simplest solution to that, Mac, would be... If you've ever watched a basketball game, you know they have a rule where you need to get the ball across the center line of the basketball court, and I think it's seven seconds. Now, in mm. hockey, you'd have to make the time a bit longer than that. However, if they put in, I don't know, 15 seconds or so, then it would force teams to be more aggressive. You couldn't just circle back. And now, it wouldn't eliminate everything entirely because you'd still get teams going into the offensive zone and making changes, but that's a lot riskier than what they're currently doing, which is standing in their own zone and doing the lane change there. <laughs> so at least if you're going to have do a line change like that, you're going to have to do it when your team is in the other team's zone, which is a lot riskier, and it could, you know, at least you're fixing part of it. It wouldn't fix it entirely, but the NHL's got smart people working there, Mac, and they could come up with some sort of solution that would solve all the problems, I'm sure. Now, here's another. This is a this is a bit of a. It's less of a rule change for the NHL, but it's something that I think drives both of us and a lot of hockey broadcast viewers up a wall. And it's nothing against the reporters that are doing it. They're just doing what the what the producer is telling them to do. But they need to get rid of these in-game interviews. And I'm not talking about the intermission ones, although those ones, take it or leave it. Uh, I, I wouldn't care if they left. But I'm mostly talking about the ones where the, uh, the young reporter, he or she, they're crawling across the back of the bench to interview the coach in the middle of the game. And you can just see it on so many coaches. I remember they did one with Torts once, and you could just see <laughs> he was not having it at all. I think it was the middle of a playoff game, too. And and look, I like to hear what the coach has to say, but there's a reason they have post-game interviews, Mac. Another one that I would really like to see is I like that the NHL has instituted these challenges on certain plays. You know, you can challenge a play if you feel like it's offside or you can challenge a goal call. But to me, it's still missing something. You've got to think like the NFL thinks with their reviews, right? I think especially in a playoff game, in a close game, in a game that matters, there needs to be more review processes put in. Because there's way too many times when these plays happen and there's no rule in there that it has to be reviewed by the officials. The rule is if the coach has a challenge and it's a reviewable play, they can review it. But if they don't have a challenge, well, guess what? If it's a close play, it can't be reviewed at all. That's another thing I would like to see them do. Oh, absolutely. Especially, as you said, especially in playoff games. They need to allow for more reviewable things. You know, for example, in the NFL, any scoring play, turnover, or penalty, I believe in the last 
two minutes of the game is automatically yep. reviewed, even if it's you know cut and dry. They automatically review it to make sure that they get it right, and they don't always do. The, you know, the NFL isn't perfect, but at least you can say that they've got a review process. And and while we're on the topic of that, this is something the NFL doesn't do either. But all sports, I think the best example is the NBA because they have they send most of their calls off to the video room in New York. The NHL only sends it off to Toronto for goal calls. They should be sending off all reviews to Toronto. It shouldn't be up to the ref who is there in the moment, who's got that tiny screen and the pressure of all the crowd on him to make that call. It should be at the war room in Toronto where they've got all those big flat screen TVs. It's a quiet room. They're separated from the game and they can make the right impartial call. Let's move on to some other conversations and that's players that are currently on a one-year deal. As you may know, it's January 1st today. By the way, Happy New Year to you all. It is the first day that teams can sign players that are on expiring contracts to contract extensions. Now, on that note, Joe Pavelski just signed an extension for one year, about $3.5 million to stay in Dallas. No surprise. Apparently, there's some bonuses in there. He could make as much as five, five and a half million. But there's a long list of really good players on expiring contracts and young players. So let's get into that, shall we? Absolutely. Well, you know, I think the creme de la creme here, Mac, is uh, David Pasternak. Now, you know, there's the rumor, of course, that he's going to sign to an eight-year deal worth 11 soon, but that's not confirmed. And, you know, we've heard the on-again, off-again thing with plenty of players with the Bruins for years and years now. So until the official announcement is made, you can say that he's on an expiring deal. And, you know, if David Pasternak finds his way to the open market, just watch, you know, one of the best players in the game. He's so, so good. You know, elite scorer, a great playmaker. He's He makes everyone around him better. And... You know, the Bruins are certainly going to do their darndest to keep him because he's a big part of that team. And, you know, they would lose a big chunk of their scoring output if he were to walk. But David Pasternak is on there at the moment. I do think he'll end up signing in Boston. It's just a matter of what the official amount will be. But he's going to get paid one way or another. Yeah, this is one of those guys that I, if you're Boston, you just... You have to figure out a way to keep him. You can't let this guy go. He's too good. You've already invested this many years into developing him. He's obviously a superstar. You know, when you think of the Boston Bruins, he's one of those players that immediately comes to mind, right? Obviously, you have the perfection line, which they've broken up a little bit because they have a lot more depth this year. I would be really surprised if he leaves. But again, the open market can do some things and maybe he prefers to be somewhere else. He's very quiet, so we don't really know what's happening there. Now, onto a player that I was going to mention him later, but with this year he's having and the Devils' success this year so far, obviously they're struggling a little bit lately. But Jesper Brat, give him credit, man. He gambled on himself. He said, I know that I can secure a long-term contract and I'm worth that. And what a year he's having. This this guy's about to get a nice long-term deal to set himself up, to set his family up for a long time. Absolutely. And if you're the Devils, you certainly want to keep him around. He's been a big part of this good Devils team Rotsman had a really good year, and you're right, he's about to get paid. Good on him for betting on himself. It doesn't always work out for guys. You know, a lot of time you'll have guys who will say, I'm going to take a pass on a long-term deal this year, go into my fu- the final year of my contract, and, you know, unfortunately injuries happen or just inconsistencies and things like that. But it really has worked out for Jesper Rot. And if you're the Devils, you, you want to try and find a way to keep this guy around. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's one of your core guys. He, he's earned that right. You know, he's right in there with the Hughes brothers, he's sure, etc. No reason to get rid of this guy. Okay, now on to some really interesting conversations here. I'm not going to include Pierre-Luc Dubois here because isn't the writing on the wall at this point? Like, it, it's almost, we know he wants to go to Montreal. Maybe there's a possibility that Winnipeg figures out how to get something done, but it seemed like... You know, we've heard these rumors for a while. He's he's a French-Canadian player. He's got the opportunity to go there. Montreal has to do some things to fit him in, but why wouldn't they want this guy on their roster? Exactly. I think he wants it and the Habs want it. So it's just a matter of finding a way to make the, the money work. Okay, now I'm going to throw you some interesting ones here because these guys, to me, are not, not guarantees to stay where they are. 
Timo Meyer. Well, I think Timo Meyer's gone. You know, with San Jose and the rebuilding that they're going. Look, Timo Meyer's a good player, but I think that if you're the Sharks, you could get an awful lot back for a guy like Timo Meyer, who is just a rental. You remember how much Forge were going for at the deadline last season. So a guy like Timo Meyer would be in very high demand, and I do think he gets moved. It's just a matter of where. That's my feeling, too. The question is, is it a rental or is he moving for good? I mean, we'll find out. All right. Now, staying on that topic, Alex Dabrinkat. No, now, Alex Dabrinkat, you see, my answer to this to this question has changed a little bit over the last little while. Because if you asked me back at the end of November, Mac, I would say, oh, he's probably going to get traded. But Alex Dabrinkat, he has really uh, found his... His groove in Ottawa the last few weeks, he's been, uh, I forget, I think he's number two or number one on the team. He's been scoring at a torrid pace here. And now that doesn't guarantee he's going to stay Mac, of course. But I don't think he gets traded at the deadline unless something catastrophic happens for the Sens between now and the deadline. Now, whether he stays, I've heard rumors from guys like Ian Mendez that the Sens are working on potentially making an extension and Alex Dabrinkit is open to it. I, I do think that the Sens and their inconsistencies this year certainly haven't helped in that negotiation progress. But uh, I think that Pierre Dorian, if he can find a way to make the money work, because you know Alex Dabrinkit won't come cheap. If he can find a way to make it work, he will, because Alex Dabrinkit, he's found some real good chemistry with guys like Tim Stutzla and Claude Giroux, and I think that he's become a big part of this team. I gather he likes it here in Ottawa. He likes his teammates. I'm sure he doesn't like the inconsistencies with the team, but that's something that they they were working on fixing. Now, uh, if I had to say right now whether he's staying or going, I'd like to, I'd like to th- say he's staying question mark it's very uncertain there's no definitive answer one way or another however if you're Peter Dorian and you know for example in the next couple weeks that okay you know he's not going to negotiate an extension here he's going to go you make that trade as soon as you can and you make it for a defenseman because a guy like Alex Dabrinkit I guarantee you (laughs) Peter Dorian could get more back get more back for him than Chicago got back for him (laughs) so if you can swing a guy like Alex Dabrinkin and turn him into a, I dare say, a top four defenseman, which you and I both know Ottawa desperately needs, you do it. That's definitely an interesting one. And another interesting one, Bo Horvat. I know, Bo Horvat. I don't know what you've been hearing, Mac, but I've been hearing similar things to Alex Dabrinkin, you know. He's had a good year. He's a good player. But, you know, with the Canucks struggles this year, I've heard... 50-50, should he stay, should he go, you know, and he's going to get a big contract, and the problem is the Canucks don't really have the cap for him, so they could make some moves to keep him around for sure, Or, but I think it's more likely that they'll find a way to flip him because the Canucks have struggled, they need some more players to fill out that roster, they need some depth, they need some younger players, and you and I both know that Borhat Horvat would get an awfully big return at the trade deadline or in the or a big contract elsewhere. So, you know, I do think you'll hear Bull Corvat's name talked about a fair bit leading up to the deadline. Does that mean a trade is imminent? No. However, I think that the conversations are certainly being had between GMs. Now, you see, you talk about the Vancouver Canucks like they're this logical organization that thinks things through and and makes the right decision. (laughs) (laughs) We would love to see that happen, but this is a tough one because, look, he's he's a two-way center. He's known for his defensive game. Obviously, he's got some offense, but if you look at going back to his junior days, you know, 74 points with the London Knights in the OHL, that's not a lot, especially for the OHL. And you look at his career high in points is 61, which he had in the 2018-2019 season. So, you know, if he's asking for, I don't know, 9-plus or 8-plus, that's that's a lot. And the other issue with Bo Horvat is he's not a great skater. And this is something that teams have to be careful of. 
you know, we've seen it with guys like John Tavares. We've seen it. We're seeing it now with Ryan O'Reilly the last few years. You got to be careful with these players that aren't great skaters. Well, let's go through a couple more guys here, Mac. And guys like um, Dylan Strom, do you think he stays? You know, we'll, we'll talk about Washington here in just a little bit, but I do. I think he's found a nice fit there with the Washington Capitals. They're a good team. In my books, they're a contender. He gets to play with Alex Ovechkin. Who wouldn't want that? Oh, Tarasenko? Yeah, I think this guy's getting traded. I mean, the Blues, remember, they've been looking to move him for a while, and then he had that big comeback year, and they had to think about it again. But then apparently they were looking to move him again. I think this guy's going to be a great trade deadline acquisition for someone, and the Blues have really struggled this year. Well, here's a guy, sort of like me with Alex Dabrinka, here's a guy that you, you might know a bit more on than I would back, and that's Michael Bunting. What, what do you, what's your sense on Michael Bunting? This is another tough one because it's going to be kind of a Zach Hyman-like situation, and he's a very similar player to Zach Hyman. You know, he's a good player, he's a good complementary piece, but how much is too much? You know, the Leafs, in my opinion, still made the right decision in letting go Zach Hyman for the dollars that he got from Edmonton. And they brought in a much cheaper guy, Michael Bunting, for his replacement, and he's done incredibly well. And remember, the Leafs have some really good up-and-coming guys, which we haven't quite talked about a lot, but they've got... Ty Voigt, he's an incredibly good play-driving player. They've got Matt Nice. The Leafs have some guys coming. You know, Robertson, you still don't know what you're going to get there. His brother's obviously a star in Dallas, but Nick Robertson has not reached that level yet. You don't know what you're getting. It's a tough one. We'll see. All right, any other players you want to mention before we move on here, Mac? Tristan Jari, I can't see him leaving Pittsburgh, but again, it comes down to money. Shane Gostaspear, I think you took a flyer on him. You did very well if you're Arizona. If you can flip him at the deadline and get something significant in return, you do it. Dylan Cousins, I want to mention, really good young player that's kind of overshadowed by all the good players on Buffalo. No reason to think he leaves. Matt Boldy, he's off his entry-level contract. I think he stays. And then you have Trevor Zegris. This is an interesting one. He's one of those RFAs that if you're a GM, you circle and you say, if we have the picks, do we offer sheet this guy? <laughs> That's a conversation for another day. You know our thoughts on the RFA thing, Mac. <laughs> Honestly, GMs, what are you doing? Please do it more. We need more player movement. I don't care if it's Please. taboo. If, if, if no, Anaheim's- if it happens more and more, it won't be taboo. Exactly. If, a, if Anaheim, for example, is lowballing Zegers this offseason, and I'm a GM who very much would like a guy like Zegers, which I'd, you'd assume any competent GM in the league would say, oh, yes, you know, I've got, as you said, if I have the picks and the assets, I, I'll offer sheet Trevor Zegers. So I, I'd like to see it happen, but that's, another, that's a conversation we can bring up again on another day. I think it's time to uh, do our, one of our annual traditions here, Mac, and that's contenders and pretenders. Oh, yes, my favorite. Let's start with the pretenders, shall we? Yes, absolutely. Well, I say it every year, Mac, and this year is just the same as last year. The Edmonton Oilers, to me, are pretenders. They they have been the last few years. People people have raised an eyebrow when you and I have said that, but I, I truly believe it. They're pretenders, and I guarantee you that if they find their way into the playoffs come April, they're going to. I think they're going to bow out pretty quickly. I'd say the same about their uh, Southern Alberta brethren in the Calgary Flames, who have been very inconsistent this year. They seem to have uh, turned things around a little bit, but Calgary and Edmonton give me no hope of contention this year. Agreed. Calgary has been a mess. I don't think we've talked enough about how bad Calgary has been when we expected that they'd be better. And Edmonton, they're not any better than they were last year. And Jack Campbell has come into a situation where the defense is awful and his save percentage and numbers are not good either. So they're rotating him and Stuart Skinner in net. But yeah, I just now here's one I'm going to add. And and I did my best to really narrow this down. Okay, and this hurts my heart a little bit. (laughs) The New York Rangers. I I don't see it. I, I just don't. I like the take here, Mac. You know, the. The Rangers are a team that had an unbelievable amount of hype around them coming into the season. But they, they've just sort of disappointed this year, wouldn't you say? They, they haven't been great. They've been marred by, 
my inconsistencies. They're not in a playoff spot at the moment, although they're pretty close to it. But the, I think with the way things are going for the Rangers, this is a team that'll be looking that will be looking on the outside come the end of April. And it's unfortunate because there's some really good players on the Rangers, but you know defense is really hurting them. Shesterkin has taken a step back from how good he was last year. That's a big part of it, too. The The offense is there, but when it comes to defense goal and goaltending, the two-way game in general just doesn't seem to be, the, be there like it was last year for the Rangers. And you know what? Speaking of the Rangers, we've talked about this team a lot. I think you've got to put the Florida Panthers in there. Right now, the Florida Panthers have given up their first-round pick this year, and they are not looking good at all. They've stripped their team for Kachuk. Their goaltending has not been very good. Their defense does not look good. Surprise, surprise. You know, I don't think... I, th- I think they might have trouble making the playoffs at this point. I think if you're Detroit and Ottawa and Buffalo, you're really excited at the prospect of Florida falling out, potentially dealing at the deadline, and doing a little retooling because what they have right now, it ain't working. Well, you look at the Atlantic Division standings, Mac. The Sens only have one less point than the Panthers. They have three less than Detroit. Sorry, four less than Detroit and three less than Buffalo. So you've got those four teams that are all sort of scrunched together at the moment. And really, Montreal is not too far behind them either, although they've been fading pretty quick. So Montreal won't be in that conversation for very long, in my opinion. But you've got those four teams in the Atlantic that are all super close together, within five points. And, you know, at the start of the season, people, at least management in Florida, was expecting them to continue pick up where they left off last season and be in the top three, but they're nowhere near that. I don't think Florida, their expectations were to be in in a real battle with Detroit, Ottawa, and uh, Buffalo. And I, I think Florida, they need to retool. And it's just not good enough. The defense isn't there. Sure, they've got offense. But to me, what happened this offseason was they just made their pure offensive team more offensive and less defensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you and I talked about it going into the playoffs last year. This team is all offense. <laughs> they don't have any defense except Ekblad. And at the time, they had Uyghur. But now they only have Ekblad. <laughs> okay, now we're going to go on to one that gives Matt a great deal of pleasure. The Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, yes, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, look, you and I, we say it every year. The Penguins, are they... Are they finally going to miss the playoffs? And I think the answer is no, they're going to make the playoffs this year. But I watched the Pittsburgh Penguins play the other night against the Devils. And it's just, you know, you could see the ages catching up with a lot of these guys, except Sidney Crosby, of course. Sidney Crosby hmm. is going to find a way to keep playing as long as he can because he's Sidney Crosby. But everyone else, you know, they just, it doesn't, they don't inspire any confidence in me, Mac. And, of course, you know, I take no pleasure in saying this. <laughs> <laughs> but you, New Jersey. Ooh, now New Jersey, you know, they start they started off a scorching pace, right? They were really, really good. And they seen What were they? What were they, like 18 and 2 in the first were, 20 games? Something ridiculous, right? They were on fire. And yeah. They've cooled off a fair bit the last couple weeks here. They're seven, sorry, two seven and one in their last ten games, which isn't great. Now the the question, of course, is is this a rough patch or are they, or were they playing you know out of this world and they're coming back to reality? I, that's the question that needs to be answered, and I think it's a little too soon for either of us to say they're a pretender or a contender. I'd I lean on the side of pretender, but that doesn't mean they can't make the playoffs. That's fair. I respect that. Okay, let's throw one more in there, and that's the other New York team, the Islanders. I'd like some things from what I'm seeing this year, but it's still not quite good enough. It's not consistent. It's very streaky. Now, what they do have is they have one of the best goaltenders in the world, and that's Sorokin, so that helps. But I just, maybe they make some moves at the deadline. I don't know. But right now, I don't see it. I, I'm with you. You know, the Islanders are better than they were last year for sure. But how much is that? How much of that is because Rogan's playing amazing? 
Yeah, you know, Barzell, he's a great playmaker, but he's not scoring a lot of goals. And now the Islanders, now here's the interesting thing about the Islanders that we cannot forget. This is a second half team. This is still one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. So we'll have to see what happens down the stretch in the second half. But I think if they can kind of get on a bit of a roll, they can play to their structure and be a little more consistent, you know, have a plan for the playoffs if they do make it there, maybe make some additions at the deadline. This is a dangerous team, no doubt. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into contenders, Mac, shall we? And first one that comes to mind, Mac, for me is the Carolina Hurricanes. Ten games, they have yet to be defeated here, Mac. They're looking really, really good. And I am I'm excited to see this team in the playoffs. Now, of course, the question all you and I have asked for the last two, three seasons, Mac, is we know what they can do in the regular season. What mm-hmm. can they do in the playoffs? Mm-hmm. And... I'd like to think that this might be the year. They've been really, really good this first half of the season, and I have no doubt that they're going to continue to be good. Uh, it's just a matter of what's what's going to happen in the playoffs. Yeah, they don't feel as sure a pick as some of the other contenders because, like you said, they haven't had that playoff success really ever since they won the Stanley Cup when Rob Brendamore was a Hurricanes player. So... I, I love watching them play. They're one of my favorite teams to follow and watch. But you kind of have to put the brakes on and say, okay, I know I know they're really good. This is not something that isn't known by everybody. What are they going to do in the playoffs, like you said? All right, now let's move on to a team that has absolutely steamrolled pretty much everyone <laughs> in the first half, the Boston Bruins. Oh, I saw the Boston Bruins play the other night, Mac, and let me tell you, they're they're the real deal. You know, anyone that just looks at the standing or something or, or the box scores, it doesn't do it justice. This Boston team from top to bottom, especially those top lines, are just so, so good. And as we mentioned earlier, the depth is really good too. Swayman's playing fantastic. And... And even if you count... Swayman and Allmark. Allmark's arguably the favorite for the Vesna right now. Maybe. He's been terrific. The one-two tandem in Boston has been fabulous. You look look at their record, 28-4-4. Only eight losses in total. And uh, this is a little bit off topic, but it makes me seriously wonder... With my senator, my beloved Senators, they've been so inconsistent all year, yet they've handed the Bruins two of their eight losses all season. I don't get it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to the Boston Bruins, because let me tell you, the Bruins are just so, so good, Mac. They, they are easily the number one team and number one favorite for the Stanley Cup at the moment. Now, the, the question is, will they continue playing at this pace? I don't think so. That's not to say they're not a really good team, Mac. They're just playing at an unbelievable clip at the moment, and I think that they're going to cool off a little bit, but that doesn't mean they're not still going to be a very good team. And I think yeah, that, no, that, you know, any team that comes across them in the playoffs, is gonna, they're going to be a real tough out. Oh, yeah, Boston and Toronto in the East. You know, We've talked about Toronto for years. This is still a really good team. We'll quickly touch on them here. You know, they've made improvements defensively. They're a much stingier team. Their goaltending is better now. The question really is going to be with Toronto, as we talked about with Carolina, what do they do in the playoffs? And I think the other question is, what do you get from your bottom six forwards? We really don't know right now. Absolutely. Well, the way I've always seen it with Toronto, Mac, if they can get by round one, get the the exercise that demon. You know, the sky's the limit for this Toronto team. I feel like half of the battle for the Leafs at this point, getting it, when they get mm-hmm. into the playoffs, is a mental battle. And if they can get by that that game seven, round one, get into round two, I feel like even if they lose in five or six games to a team like Boston round two, I feel like that'll do wonders for that group. Just to say, okay, we know we can win in the playoffs now. All right, now let's talk about a team that you and I were pretty high on going into the season, and we were right on with this one. How about the Dallas Stars? Yeah, the Stars have been quite good. You know, Robertson's been outstanding, you know, top three in the league and points and scoring. He's just looks so good. You know, we mentioned Pavelski earlier, stay, signing to stay in Dallas. And, and the Stars just seem to always make all the right moves, don't they, Mac? You know, Jim Nill... He's such a good GM, man. You know, the first day to sign a player on a one-year contract, guess who gets the first contract done with his one-year player? Joe Pavelski coming back for another year. 
That's Jim Nill right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. The Dallas Stars, this is this is a team that's going to be a very tough out in the West. You know, they when they snuck into the playoffs last year, you and I both, we, you know, now I didn't expect Ottinger to be as good as he was in the playoffs last mm-hmm. year against Calgary. I expected him to be good. He was utterworldly. But, mm-hmm. you know, Dallas, this is a team with another year of experience under them, their belt. They've got a great mix of young players and guys who have been around the game like Pavelski. Dallas, to me, is if you're, if you're a GM looking to build a team and you want to find the right balance of young, hot stars and, you know, good vets, Dallas is a great case study to look at. Yeah, now just on the topic of Dallas, I want to bring up a question for you, and this is a tough one to answer, and I don't know how I would answer personally, but if you could pick one player who's not quite a superstar, forward, defense, goalie, what have you, to have on your team, who would you pick in the NHL right now? Ooh, that is a tough one. Uh, you've got me there, Mac, because there's lots of there's lots of guys that, that – that's a tough one, Mac. Do you have any? Well, here's why I bring up this question, because we're talking about Dallas, and I cannot not mention Rope Hints. I mean, this guy is an absolute stud. He's about 6'3", 215. He's hard to knock off the puck. He's good defensively. He's strong on the puck. He's got a good shot. He's a good playmaker. To me, this is a guy that is a real staple for the Dallas Stars. And obviously, you know, they don't, guys like this don't grow on trees. You know, big guys that can skate and handle the puck and shoot. But Rope Hints to me is one of those guys that if I'm a team, obviously he's not available at the trade deadline. But I'm just saying, if I had an opportunity to get this guy somehow, some way, I would do it. All right, let's move over to the Pacific Division here, Mac. How do you feel about the Vegas Golden Knights this year? Because. Last year, the season ended in uh, disappointment for Knights fans and the organization as a whole. They have rebounded a bit this year, Mac, and they're leading the Pacific Division. They're four points clear of the second-place Kings. They're 25-12-2 going into the new year. What are your thoughts on the Knights? Yeah, you know what's funny? When I watch the Vegas Golden Knights, I see a lot of what I saw with the Boston Bruins from previous years because, again, that's because they have Bruce Cassidy behind the bench. They're a similarly structured team, you know, defense first, not really stars in net. Now, Vegas, I just, I need to see more because it's only been half a year and really their division has been, shall I say, a train wreck? Is that, yeah, is that appropriate? that's appropriate because you, you look at this division <laughs> here, Mac. And I know this is a little off topic, but it's worth mentioning. The second place Kings, you know, they've got a 21-13-6-6 record, but they've got a negative six goal differential. And Mm -hmm. they haven't been super consistent at times either. The Flames, you know, you and I need to come back and do a whole segment on the Flames in our next episode because Mm -hmm. they have been brutally inconsistent. They started off the year horribly. The Oilers Mm -hmm. have been inconsistent. And, you know, the Kraken have been a pleasant surprise this year. I still think that they could very much find themselves in a playoff spot mm-hmm. come the end of the season. They've been on a bit of a slide lately, but, you know, that Pacific Division's wide open. And it, it, not in a good way, because there's no real team, in my opinion, that you can say, you know, are real, real contenders. Like, yeah, the Knights are number one, but do I feel like mm-hmm. they're really going to threaten for the Cup this year? Not at the moment, as you say. You need to see, you, you see you need to see more from the Knights to be sure. But at the moment, I think that they're a good team. They're a playoff team for sure. But do, are they a cup team? I, I question that. Yeah, for sure. But they're definitely a oh, playoff sure. team. And, and moving on to the LA Kings, as you just mentioned, this is a really interesting one because. What they've had for a long time is now not necessarily a sure thing, and that's goaltending. Jonathan Quick is not the goaltender he was. He's finally aging, it appears. They brought in Phoenix Copley. You know, Cal Peterson, they signed him to an extension. It did not work out. I think he got placed on waivers. I, I still think this team needs more, and Rob Blake, the Kevin Fiala ad makes sense, but I think you need more. If you can find a way to bring in some of those guys we talked about. You know, maybe you bring in a Tarasenko. Maybe you bring in some of these guys that are on expiring deals that are available. You don't need defense. You still need offense. So if you can find a way to shore that up, 
then you're much closer to competing with the Colorados and the Vegases of the world. But right now they're behind and they, I think if they can get another goalie, that would help. Phoenix Copley is not the answer. It's <laughs> come on now. Let's stop fooling ourselves. So yeah. Now, if you move on to another team, obviously you have to mention the Colorado avalanche. They've had a lot of injuries this year, like a lot yeah, the, their team, the, their LTIR looks like an infirmary, infirmary ward or an all-star team, depending on how you want to look at it, Mac. And that certainly hasn't helped. You know, McKinnon just got back from an injury, and that'll be a big boost to the Avalanche. But they still got a lot of key guys out, and that's that, that'll hurt the uh, Avalanche's chances. But I do think for the Avalanche at this point, they just need to keep their head above water until these guys can get back. And there are some guys that are due to return soonish. And even without these guys, the Avalanche are still a decent team. Not great, but you can certainly see they're missing their top-end talent. And the injuries certainly aren't helping them. Yeah, Nathan McKinnon got back yesterday, but it was his first game back. And Toronto really dominated them that game for the most part. And, you know, they did the Leaf thing where they let them back into the game. But then they finished strong, which again, is encouraging if you're a Leaf fan. All right, so I think that just about wraps it up. Is there any other teams that we didn't list that you want to mention here? Well, I want to touch on Winnipeg very briefly here, Matt, because we didn't get a chance to mention them. They've been a pleasant surprise this year. You know, I think that coming into the season, both you and I were pretty uh, down on the Jets after last season, Mm. but they've been a pleasant surprise this year. Do I see them as a contender? No, but I think that they'll make their way into the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Like some of the other teams I mentioned, I still need to see more. I really like what the new coach has brought in. Morrissey is playing the best hockey of his career. That's really encouraging to see. And, you know, Hellebuck getting back to the top of his game is also very important. And the other thing I've noticed when I watch the Jets is they're they're much grittier than they used to be. They block a lot of shots. They don't take as many penalties. So that's important, too. But yeah, we touched on Seattle. I don't think there's anybody else we wanted to mention here. So I think that almost wraps up the show today, doesn't it? Yes, it it does. I think uh, it's going to be an exciting second half of the season. I think we're going to see a lot of shifting in the standings because especially you look in the East and that Pacific division, the Atlantic and Pacific are super tight. Lots of teams that, you know, are finding their stride or are falling off and we could see a very different look of the standings in a couple months come trade deadline time, Mac, and that's super exciting. Once again, thanks to everyone for listening. We're glad to be back. It's been a chaotic few months for both of us. I just moved to a brand new place, new market, all that. That's what working in radio is like, people, if you don't know that. <laughs> Once again, we appreciate you listening. Happy New Year. Enjoy the games. The World Juniors is on. The second half is on. It's a great time to be a hockey fan. Thanks for listening. Take care and stay safe, guys. Thank <laughs> you.